0: You're listening to Small But Mighty, the podcast of the Small Nonprofits Alliance, the online hub for Australia's small charities. Hi, everyone. My name is Bianca Crocker. I'm the founder of the Small Nonprofits Alliance. Um, We've developed a, a new bonus podcast for you this month in regards to the recent situation that's happening around the world with the COVID-19. Um, I'm delighted to introduce Margaret Scott, who is going to chat with me um, today about some of the challenges and worries facing charities and also provide us with some top tips to help charities through these uncertain times. Um, hi, Marg. How are you? Hi, Bianca. Fantastic and great to speak with you. Thanks so much. Now, just for everyone who's listening, I'd like to give a little introduction to Marg. Marg um, has more than 30 years of experience in senior fundraising roles for a variety of health and disability-related organisations. She's um, also operated her own business as a fundraising consultant for many years and more recently is a PhD student and senior research assistant with QUT's Australian Centre for Philanthropy and Not-for-Profit Studies. She's a leader in the sector, having been a past national chair of the Fundraising Institute, as well as the current tutor for their Diploma Education Program. She was also awarded the Arthur Venn Fundraiser of the Year in 2014, which is one of the Institute's highest honours for outstanding contribution to fundraising in Australia. Marg is currently on the board of Parkinson's New South Wales and avid gym participant obviously when we're not in some um, means of isolation and she's a loving grandma and mother and from my perspective most importantly she's been a wonderful colleague and friend of mine um, in the nonprofit space for probably 10 years I'd say now 10 years or more um, which is um, which I feel very privileged to have you as a friend and colleague Marg so thanks so much for coming on to our podcast today.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure and it, it's, it's been a great friendship. We've worked on some some wonderful things together and uh, it's great to keep, keep a friendship of someone that you respect and uh, admire in the sector. Thanks. That
0: means you. Um, <laughs> 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 Thank you. Um, so, first up, um, a question that we often ask for some of our visitors or guests, sorry, onto the podcast um, because we're the Small But Mighty podcast, what does being small but mighty mean to you in the context of small charities?
1: Look, I, I think that there's a great role for small organisations in the sector, uh, often unappreciated, unappreciated. Uh, But it comes with some challenges too. Uh, I did some research uh, a few years ago about organisations and uh, one of the questions I asked some of the the participants was, uh, are there too many organisations? And hence with small organisations there tend to be small organisations that do uh, little jobs and do things that other people don't do and started by founders and all that sort of thing. But most participants said, well, there's a role for small organisations because they can make impact where and they can be perhaps sometimes more agile than uh, than larger organisations. So I think mighty is probably a good term for the bulk of, uh, of small organisations, impact in the community, um, meeting the needs of beneficiaries and uh, being known in the community for getting hands dirty uh, because they need to be agile they need to uh, look at their key messaging they need to uh, look at cash flow and all these things to survive but so, yeah absolutely. Small, is, small is small is mighty.
0: Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. Obviously, I'm a strong advocate for small organisations, but I think your point um, to them being agile is is very important, and and being sort of at the coal face of the work a lot of the time in the community is really important. So, Marg, over the years of your time in fundraising in the non profit sector, you've worked with many charities. Can you tell us a little bit about your experience at any smaller ones?
1: Sure, uh, I'm sort of going into my my remembrances of so many good times. But uh, just in reflecting generally, I, I've enjoyed working uh, at all charities. Sometimes charities, fundraising-wise, can be small charities, but they have more services and government funding. Um, but I'm thinking my time working with um, – uh, community, uh, Baptist Community Care in Queensland. That was an interesting time. Uh, just as an example, we had uh, a challenge about not receiving or not accessing funds from the Queensland Gambling um, Community Fund and uh, because it was against the values of the organisation. So what we, we repaired a DM package uh, and uh, the challenge was to uh, ask people in the in the Baptist churches, to donate in lieu of us accessing funds from the Community Benefit Fund, and uh, and they did. The big challenge, however, was getting to people when we didn't have any anybody's details, or not many people's details anyway. So we prepared a DM package, unaddressed, delivered it to uh, the churches who said that they would uh, hand it out, so uh, they did. And yeah. the challenge was once again for people to open that and then to donate. So, which mm. goes against all the rules of uh, of DM success <laughs> and things like that. But uh, yeah. the the other organisation I've I worked with was um, Bloom Asia. I was on the board. Actually, didn't work, but worked as a volunteer on uh, Bloom Asia board. And uh, a very small organisation uh, with lots of challenges and cash flow and funding. Great stories. Uh, but lots of challenges working there, but very, very satisfying in uh, providing services to beneficiaries. And then currently, I'm on the board of uh, Parkinson's New South Wales. And uh, once again, a small charity, um, but uh, small charities can give direct impact to beneficiaries and really make a mark where perhaps larger charities can't do that. They're less agile. They they just can uh, communicate with their communities, perhaps a little easier yeah, and, uh, just just work um, in different ways. So, yeah, great great memories, and uh, hey, the memories are still going on. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah,
0: you made some really good points there about the different um, positives, I guess, and um, and and good aspects of of working in small charities. So, so that's great. Thanks for sharing um those insights. Um, so obviously we're uh, in a very unusual situation. Uh, not just here in Australia, but really globally at the moment with the coronavirus, um, lots of places are uh, going into various levels of shutdown mode. Uh, social distancing is is in full swing. Um, events are being cancelled. Uh, charities and and many businesses are feeling a lot of pressure and a lot of challenges. Um. I just want to have a chat for a little bit about what are some of the challenges that you know nonprofits are worried about. Um, I've got a couple of thoughts as well, but obviously in these current times, what are some of the challenges and the worries
1: that you believe small nonprofits are facing? I think um, the size sometimes doesn't matter. However, I think for small, of, uh, small charities, cash flow. Uh, and keeping especially if you're doing acquisition uh, if you've got appeals going out the concern should we should we be fundraising now should we not Uh, you know cash flow we're dependent on uh, fundraising money coming in as you say about events uh disruption to the fundraising program, let alone the challenges for the organisation as a whole, where uh, they're looking at uh, different aspects of service provision and what is it, social distancing and all this sort of thing. Um, but uh, keeping jobs, as you, as you mentioned, is a, is a real challenge at the present time. I, I heard mm-hmm. from a fundraiser just yesterday. She was supposed to start a new job yesterday and uh, the organisation had to put a freeze on all employment. So her job vanished just like that. Yeah, yeah.
0: Wow. And,
1: uh, and whilst it's a negative thing to think about and you think, oh, well, there's other opportunities, volunteering and all that sort of thing, everybody's got bills to pay. That's um, right. So, you know, that, that's a real challenge for, for fundraisers, certainly um, at present time. Mm. I think one other thing that's a, a challenge Uh, and it tends to get uh, affected by hysteria, is that the organisation and perhaps the leaders, the boards, don't have that understanding about fundraising, about how it works, about donor motivation, about uh, donor retention. And we, we talk about this a lot, in that uh, it's it's a, it's a problem within many organisations who want to fundraise or who are fundraising and they make assumptions about how fundraising works. But we know that there are fundraising principles to adhere to. Mm-hmm. But in times like this, that's when it's difficult because sometimes leaders of organisations or vocal parts of an organisation can get that panic. And if you listen to the news all day, you will certainly get that disease. Yeah. Um, you know, that panic, different. which is... Sometimes unavoidable, but yeah. what I've seen—I've seen a lot of uh, webinars and resources come through to help organisations and and fundraisers to uh, to navigate this this time. And it's not panicking, but still a challenge for organisations, particularly if you're if you're relying on events or acquisition face to face fundraising. Mm, wow. Mm. What, yeah. a, what an impact there. And yeah. perhaps small, small charities might not be doing that, um, but they may be doing other sort of uh, acquisition or uh, fundraising that is one-to-one. Major yeah. gifts, you know, getting in touch with donors. Now, there's some, there's some tips that we'll talk about, you know, in a, in a few moments, but, uh, you know, these are the challenges and recognising them is part of a good thing to do. And just to lay them out, even if you just whiteboard them and just think about that. And and just to remember that, you know, you're not the only one going through this hectic time. Yeah, Uh,
0: I think that's a really interesting point that it is is a huge amount of uncertainty at the moment, but it's... Mm everybody's in the same position. It's not, um, you know, it's not one type of organisation. It's not one geographic region. Uh, You know, like in Australia, obviously, earlier in the year, we had some horrendous bushfires. So there were certain areas of the country that were affected and then certain um, non-profits were affected in that space as well. But in this case, it's just, it's everybody. And it's not only fe- affecting people's working life or their volunteering time, but it's affecting their home life and their families, um, you know, whether they have children or older parents or grandparents. So it's, it is a big part of um, everyone's life at the mo- lives at the moment. But I think, yeah, that level of panic is really, um, you know, like you said, it can be seen in many environments, but I think...
1: It can be yep. contagious, you know. That's right. Yeah, it and can with, be. With, with small organisations, it's the top thing they've got to worry about is survival. Yeah. And for how long do you do you have to survive? How long do you rearrange? How many cash reserves do you have? Sometimes organisations hardly have any. Yeah. What sort of resources do you have that you can rely on? Uh, you know, the, the survival for how long? But something that organisations tend to do is to their messages go out, poor us, we've, we've survived this long. How are we going to survive? It's about us. It's about our organisation. Actually, it's not. Mm. It, it's about the beneficiaries that you're there for. It's about the impact that you can make. Yeah. You know, yeah. so it's very easy to think, I guess in a way it's a selfish thing, uh, to think it's about you. But donors don't think in those terms. They Yes, they want the organisation to survive, but they're more concerned about the work that you do.
0: Yeah, and they want you to survive because they believe in the work that you do. So, it's all about that end mission. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's the way it is all the time, whether there's a crisis or not. They're supporting an organisation, you know, more often than not because of the work that you're delivering in the community. So, that's really important to remember that.
1: Well... Also, the the government has made some um, some good uh, inroads into supporting charities too, uh, and the government stimulus package. You know, I had a look on the internet this morning, and this is not something a lot of a comp- lot of organisations, uh, sorry, a lot of countries are doing. Mm. And so, I think it's a credit to our government. That uh, they've got the stimulus package. Okay, it's not millions of dollars, but how can it be? Yeah. Um, but the if you if you fit the the eligibility criteria, that is, if you work on the PAYG um, processes. You automatically get fifty thousand dollars as an automatic yeah. credit uh, in the activity statement system from twenty uh, eighth of uh, April um, yeah. this year, yeah. and then if the organisation is still active, there's another fifty thousand in four installments that can uh, can be following the lodgement of June twenty twenty and and so forth other other dates that are there. But so organisations can uh, can have take some comfort if they've got people who are. Employees, uh, but you know, getting onto those things is sometimes a bit of a challenge. And uh, under the ATO website, i just having a, um, the information that I have is that you go to the Commonwealth Treasury website uh, for info re support for businesses, and this includes NFPs. Uh, it's at https://treasury.gov.au/coronavirus. Uh, Forward slash businesses, uh, read under the boosting cash flow section, and uh, it's not a cash payment as such. But employers will receive a payment equal to one hundred percent of their salary and wages withheld. And so there's more information there. Yeah. You don't get an it, You don't get an actual check, but but this support, and yes. you know, proud to say that Australia has this and has some support for it, particularly for small charities, particularly with survival and cash flow. And uh, UK has got something like it, but, you know, people are fundraising, organisations are being asked to lobby. In the US, um, uh, consultants and other people in the sector are telling charities to lobby your Senate to yeah. to get something done. So Yeah,
0: I did see that. So yeah. you're right. Yeah. the Australian government is has in their second, you know, um, stimulus sort of extension package has has considered not-for-profits where obviously in that first package they hadn't mentioned not-for-profits, but now they mm-hmm. have included them into that, which is is a step ahead of a few other organi- um a few other countries, I believe, which is which is a positive thing for for um our sector here in australia because it is uncertain times but the challenge is i think you know not that i want to get too much into the political side of it but even i mean this is an unknown situation for everybody for the government and yeah. for health systems and you know so for us as community members to expect there to be a whole bunch of answers and right answers you know quickly and immediately um is you know is a little unrealistic i think i i you know, I've got a few opinions about some of the different packages and and things that they've been doing and some decisions that have been made. But you know, everyone is really just trying to do their best in a in a really challenging situation.
1: Well, look, I, I agree with that, and uh, <clears throat> it's it's something, you know, it, things change every day. Oh, and I, how how I wish they didn't change every day because that mm-hmm. means you've got to tap into what's happening. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, you, sometimes you need to do things, sometimes things happen automatically. But unfortunately, it's uh, having your ear to, ear to the ground about uh, different changes that are happening, more restrictions uh, on people meeting and things like that. But mm. then thinking, how does that affect my business, especially in a fundraising um, context?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think with smaller nonprofits, you know, a lot of them do have a lot of um Funding and income come through events and community fundraising. And, and at the moment, they're the things that are being really heavily impacted. I know I'm on the charity, uh, sorry, on the board of a small charity, and we had to cancel two of our events. And we actually made that decision at a board level before government enforced those rules. So um, I think when the government did enforce those rules, we sort of felt better about our decisions. But we had to cancel um, two events, two dinners that we have annual dinners. One was meant to be in Canberra, one was meant to be in Sydney. And they generate for our organisation about, I think it's about, You know, probably ten to fifteen percent of our of our annual income, which is a fair chunk. Um, So, you know, these organisations are are feeling. feeling stressed and and I think I think that uncertainty of knowing how long things are going to last as well and how like how long do we have to cover things for yes we can keep our employees on or renegotiate some of our resourcing but for what period of time and that's I guess the unknown for many people at this point which is makes people a bit nervous as well.
1: Yes and uh, I I think it's work with work with what you know and uh, just be ready for further changes
0: yeah. And that's why I was talking with a client yesterday and, um, you know, sort of just saying to them, well, yes, we need to do some more planning around the work that we're going to be doing with you, but let's just look at the next month at this stage. Let's not yeah. try and make too many big plans because at the moment we are in a very um, like ever-evolving situation and um, and that makes it hard to plan anything too far in advance. And, it, and it's really wasted time when you do that anyway because then you just have to change things again. Um,
1: potentially. Mm, yep, sure.
0: Um, so, Mark, what are um, some of your tips, I guess, for s- charities and, and small charities in particular during this time? I know we've sort of touched on a couple of things, but I just would like to have a bit of a conversation with you now about about some of the ideas that you have and, and potentially that I have that can um, mm. give some advice to these Small organisations, and again, not that we are claiming to have all the answers, but just in our own circles and networks, what things we are hearing from people and what suggestions we can give. And and obviously, from your own experience, you know, you I know you um, have been around in the charity world for a while, Um, so you probably were around. Um, as I was even during the global financial crisis, which we weren't, I mean, we were affected in Australia by that, but not as bad as some other countries. But, you know, so just maybe looking on some past, you know, history and things like that. Obviously, this is very new situation and very different, but what things can we draw on um, that have happened in the past or our own experiences? So, so yeah, any of um, some of your top tips, I guess?
1: Well, I'm thinking um, I have some top tips, yes, but there's also other people out there with lots of tips as well. And mm. this can be a bit of a, a struggle when there's so much information out there. I, I'm, I'm attached to very, a lot of newsletters and a lot of websites around the world. Um, and sometimes, as we we're talking about different countries before, there's different things happening there. So, I guess one of my tips would be to look at what's what the resources are in avail in uh, in Australia uh, to dwell on those because they really respond to the local situation. Um, there's a couple of things, particularly that of uh, resources that I think are really useful. Fundraising for philanthropy in their latest issue have a a. Uh, an article called uh, Donor Retention and Fundraising in an Economic Crisis. Now, this was this was uh, reflecting on the GFC, as you mentioned, but there's some good learnings in that article. Um, if you're a, f- uh, a member of Fundraising Institute Australia, they had an excellent webinar with some excellent advice there on different types of fundraising, and that's in the member portal as well. But I think, just um, thinking about my own... Uh, my, my own tips, when you when you're mentioning about events and things like that, um, and some of these things will be reflective of what's what's been in these articles that I refer to, is about it's time to be creative and innovative. It's time to mm. look for opportunities, and we say that that's always a good thing to do in fundraising. But uh, now is the time to tap into those those hidden resources. Uh, like, is there an opportunity to have a virtual event? Is there uh, the ability to postpone rather than, uh, rather than cancel and those sorts of things? So looking for opportunities and not just thinking, well, we can't have that, we can't do that. What can you do? Um, one of the key things that I'm thinking about, though, is keeping in touch with donors.
0: Mm.
1: Now, that uh, Fundraising and Philanthropy article, that was talking about donor retention primarily. And that's something that we don't make a lot of time to think about, mainly because we're working on, you know, getting things happening from year to year. But thinking about, uh, and it's to do with engaging with donors, donor retention, is uh, talking to donors about the organisation, not about how great the organisation is or how poor they are or how sad they are, but about beneficiaries. And looking to uh, not necessarily asking for uh, for donations, but engaging with people, major donors, uh, contacting them, uh, work to death the um, technology that we do have, mm. um, and sometimes technology is not our best friend. But <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we've got telephones, we've got emails. And I guess it's always a challenge too in some major donors, particularly older donors, but not always, uh, aren't used to using uh, technology. But we've got the social distancing, so there may be still ways of happening, uh, making things happen. Yeah,
0: uh, I think the, I think your you're... point around um, donor engagement is is critical at this time. I really do. Yeah. I I think I think many organisations aren't great at it. So, you know at the best of times but i do think that this can be an opportunity for organisations to really ramp up their engagement with their supporters and again it doesn't need to be look how bad we are going or look how good we are it can really be about this is what we're doing to support our beneficiaries and to continue that supporting the people that we support or the communities that we support in this challenging time that they are experiencing as well and you know, and it doesn't even necessarily mean asking for don- donations from your supporters. Of of course, if that suits, you can do so. But it's really just about checking in with them as well, and and keeping them up to date with how um, how you're going in terms of delivering your mission at this at this situational um, time.
1: Exactly, and that's why one one fundraising means of direct mail. Uh, whether it's direct marketing as in EDMs or direct mail itself, may come back into its prime mm. because, uh, you know, we may get sick of technology in itself, but having, you know, it's the old thing about getting something in the mail personally addressed to you uh, and finding out about how the organisation is looking after its beneficiaries, you know, DM's yeah. never lost its uh, lost its glow. And uh, who knows, DM might really come back into its own at this time. So, it's the thing about don't abandon your fundraising principles yeah uh i mentioned before about you know the organization not necessarily understanding about fundraising but this can be these can be teaching moments um as well Mm. um a couple of personal things that I would encourage people to do is is to look after your personal health. Yeah. You, you, if you don't look after yourself, you're no good to anybody else, your organisation, the beneficiaries, the leaders of your organisation. So, you know, look after your, your your personal health, especially mental health at this time, and avoiding hysteria. Yeah. You know, were, we've we've seen the toilet uh, toilet roll debacle. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I still see people land <laughs> walking away with uh, not hundreds of hundreds of roles but it's still no. a, a mountain of them and yeah anyway it's, it's avoiding i think that hysteria it does it's not a positive thing no. it may be a There's practical things that we need to think about, but avoiding the hysteria because it can eat away at you and take your focus away from your organisation, your beneficiaries and your fundraising.
0: Yeah, and like you said earlier, it can, and that sort of panic, And fear can become contagious. And, you know, I've limited myself at the moment to how much news I'm reading because I don't need to remind every couple of hours of the count in our country or any other country for that matter. Um, Sometimes I also try and put the positive spin on it, which is very much my personality in life. But, you know, like, yes, you know, so many people uh, have been diagnosed or have died from the virus, but... How many people are surviving it, and how many mm. people are not dying? I kind of sometimes try and look at those figures because that that does bring me a little bit of comfort, I guess. So, um, but yeah, I think I think your mental health at these times because people are worried in their own families about everything, and then if you're in a you know not for profit or even a, a business or whatever, you're worried about your own, you know, uh, managing the success and survival of the organization as well as your own self so there's a lot going on um so I think yeah and then and then we're told to stay home and not and not be in contact you know physical contact with people but sometimes when you're stressed that's the best thing for you so I think it is hard but um I know I I mentioned recently to someone that it's just important that we you know we you know, while you can get outdoors, go into your backyard or on your balcony and get some sunshine or, you know, if you're near a beach, go for a walk by yourself or, you know, with your family member that you can um, spend some time with. Um, You know, I think those things are really, really important now as much as ever.
1: Sure. Um, A couple of other things um, that I could mention is about keeping or working out what your positive messages are in Mm. your organisation and those key messages and not to be distracted but to, to highlight those in communication and donors. And it's about impact and beneficiaries, as I, I mentioned before. And they're also, you know, when you're on a small organisation, there's the opportunity to actually work with service people or other volunteers or, or whatever, like not not that you desert your own job, but there may be opportunities to get down and dirty in uh, other aspects of the organisation to support team members. And that's, mm. that's a really good thing about small organisations. There's, the opportunity for really uh, teams to excel and to support one another and uh, when you there's such good stories you know to tell donors and mm. uh, and other volunteers and the community how you're working together and yeah. uh, you know such a good story.
0: I think but those positive type of stories are, are, are so critical now in the in the community because we're just hearing such negative stories mm. in the media and in other places so you you know, charities have always been a place of hope and positive storytelling, so I think now is our chance for many organisations to shine in that area and really shed a light on some positivity and share that positivity with their supporters in the community.
1: Sure. And just as another practical thing, people uh, or small organisations uh, need to get in touch with their suppliers, have these conversations about how... how they are going with their business, how if you need to delay, if you need to... Uh, work out other means of communication, all these sorts of things. Uh, you don't want to desert – you don't want your your suppliers to desert you. So I'm sure that they're looking after their businesses too. So in whatever regard suppliers can be, I mean, call centres are going to be having some challenges, I, I think, and yeah. other suppliers, particularly to do with fundraising, but not just with fundraising. So yeah. whether it's mailing houses or uh, – all sorts of other volunteers that work with the organisation. Mm. It's good to uh, to keep in uh, contact with them. But and then one, perhaps my final final hint would be to learn how to work remotely and stay sane. Mm. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it, and it's that not is a easy.
0: Really interesting It's not, and it's 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 actually. Um, not funny I guess but for me I've worked as I know you you have worked you know from home for a number of years primarily obviously you know sometimes with clients or running workshops or whatever but a lot of your work is like me working from a home office and um, in some ways I've been a little bit excited about the prospects of how this may change some other businesses that and you know not-for-profit structures that don't have such flexible work environments or workplaces and I've got a couple of my, well, most of my friends now, for instance, are working from home and they previously weren't working from home and, and they're, you know, they're finding it a bit challenging and I'm, you know, actually reaching out to them or they're reaching out to me to say, how do you do this? Like what, you know, how do, how do I do this? So, I think some of the tips I'd say around that is, is you know, keep a routine, um, you know you can probably do your work in your pajamas sometimes but I don't do that very often
1: <laughs> no I, I, I don't either I, I, I there's a mental aptitude that uh, yeah. that I need need to keep so uh might That's be a, the most glamorous uh outfit but yeah yeah it, it but helps just, you get just into that get out of your pajamas
0: and into something else exactly exactly and having you know having breaks as well and it might not be a break um, where you go into the lunchroom with other staff, obviously, but it might be that you can put a load of washing on, or, um, you can go out and get some fresh air or go to your yep. mailbox or all of these little things I think is really important. So that's a great tip. Um, you're,
1: av- you're absolutely right, Bianca. And, uh, just further to that about your own body, in not being glued to this screen, mm-hmm. um, as sometimes can happen, even in a workplace situation. Uh, make sure that you, your body is working, and uh, that's the first thing I do every day is to make sure that I, I get out in some fresh air, and uh, it helps your mental aptitude as well, but get that physical body working, So, and your, your posture is another thing to keep an eye on too when you're working from home and perhaps looking at screens a lot.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely, um, and I, I think you know many people will see as they settle into it um, that potentially their productivity will go up because it is a different environment working from home. M- maybe not those that have children and schools are stopping now, <laughs> so they've got little kids running around. Um, but yeah, it is, it is a challenging time for any everyone. I think, but um, I think connecting with people is really important, and I know we can't do that physically. But even if it is, uh, you know connecting with a friend on the phone and having a cup of tea together or Friday afternoon you're having your Friday afternoon drink with your friend on the telephone or on FaceTime or something so there's you know we're definitely in a good time to be able to be in a situation where you have to self-isolate. I was talking to someone yesterday about this and you know, thinking about when the Spanish flu was going around, because I know there's a lot of talk about, you know, that time, which was a hundred years ago. And I mean, they wouldn't have been able to do anything if they were told to stay home. Like there would have been no TV, probably no radio, like, and yeah. definitely no technology. So I think we have to look for the positives that we do have, um, mm-hmm. because otherwise you can start drowning in, in the negatives and challenges, I think.
1: Yep. I think, uh, i Totally agree with you, yeah. There's a a lot to keep in mind but uh, hopefully some of the things that we've talked about will be of use to people.
0: Yes, I I hope so too. Um, What I will say is um, we'll put some of those web links that you mentioned earlier into the comments and description of the podcast recording so those that are listening will be able to access that. Obviously, um, when this is published, things are moving quite rapidly so – our advice and things are relevant for today or for this week or for the end of March, 2020. But, um, but yeah, we will, through the small nonprofits Alliance, obviously try and keep people as up to date with different things. Um, over the next few weeks and months, we will put out some more resources and potentially do some webinars and things like that as well. But, um, and as always, people can get in touch with us, but, um, Marg, are there any additional thoughts or any last comments that you'd like
1: to make before we sign off this podcast today? Uh, just probably three things. keep Try to keep calm and support your organisation as a whole. Um, yes, we're sometimes if you're involved in fundraising, sometimes your world can focus on fundraising, but think of the others. You've got a better opportunity to do this in a small organisation. Um, look to resources. Keep your ear to the ground of what is happening but, and be knowledgeable and will put up some of those uh, resources that people can access. And uh, for small organisations that are often totally reliant or, or mostly reliant on fundraising to, uh, to think about ways to retain your donors and engage with donors because they're their lifeblood. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. Thank you so much for your time today, Marg. I really appreciate it. Uh, I know we, um, some of the sage advice that you've given today will be able to be helpful for our audience. So thank you so much once again. A pleasure and all the best to people. Stay safe, stay well. Yes, thanks, and thanks everyone. Like I said, we'll put up the links in the podcast description. Um, I'm Bianca, the founder of the Small Nonprofits Alliance, and as Mark said, stay calm and stay well. Thank you.